Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. If you're a sports fan, you don't have to look very far for news around college athletics. Much of that news currently is around conference realignment and its impact not only on conferences, but the schools and the student-athletes. Our guest today, Ryan Blair, has a deep understanding of the college sports landscape and its continued evolution that will shape college athletics. Brian is the 14th athletic director in the history of the University of Toledo and is the first African-American to hold that post. When he arrived at Toledo in 2022, he was just 37 years old, making him the youngest FBS athletic director in the nation at that time. He joined the Rockets after serving as the deputy athletic director and chief operating officer at Washington State University from 2018 to 2022. Prior to his term at Washington State, Brian was a senior associate athletic director at Rice University from 2014 to 2018, which was his second stint at the school. He also served at Rice for the first time as a compliance coordinator from 2011 to 2012. While serving as an associate at Rice, he was served as a member of the athletics department's senior leadership team while overseeing sports medicine, strength and conditioning, sports nutrition, compliance, and seven of the department's 16 NCAA Division I sports programs. Brian holds a law degree from the University of South Carolina and earned his undergraduate degree in history from Wofford University. He played four seasons as a nose tackle for the Wofford football team from 2003 to 2006. He was a team captain as a senior in 2006 and was named the team's defensive lineman of the year. With the recent shifts in college athletics and the overall landscape, it's great to have Brian's insight into those changes and so many other topics. So we hope you all enjoy Adam's conversation with Brian Blair. Welcome to the Northwestern University Masters in Sports Administration Revenue Above uh, Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. With us today is a special guest. We have the uh, Vice President and Director of Athletics at the University of Toledo, Brian Blair. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Adam. Excited to dig in. Yeah, we're excited too. So uh, we asked, we want to start the question or start the podcast with a question we like to ask all of our guests, which is tell us how you got to your role um, and kind of your experience today. Yeah. Um, well, born and raised small town, South Carolina, um, growing up south of the North Carolina border, uh, two parents that were educators, one went into entrepreneurship. So if you combine those backgrounds of, of education and the value of entrepreneurship, you kind of get me in my career path. Um, so I got a chance to play college football at Wofford College, um, learned a lot about myself there. Didn't quite know what I wanted to do after school. So I thought a stall tactic might be law school. Um, so I tell people all the time, going to law school is my stall tactic while I try to figure out life. Um, turns out that's a very expensive stall tactic. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I do think it gives you a background, a skill set that is unique in some ways. And certainly with all we've got going on college athletics nowadays, um, it brings some some usability to it. So went to law school at the University of South Carolina. While I was there, I interned with the Gamecocks um, in their compliance department. Uh, from there, I did a postgraduate internship at the NCAA and their headquarters in Indy. I was able to not only learn a lot about it, kind of the, 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 call it the inside of the beast or whatever you want to call it, um, but also build a tremendous amount of, of, of networking and relationships at a really young age and learn from some people that had a lot of contacts across the industry that could continue to serve me. So I was up there for a year and then got my first full-time on-campus job at Rice University in Houston, Texas. Was there for about a year and a half, then came back to South Carolina. I was there for, I think, almost two years, working primarily 
um, with with Don Staley women's basketball um, a lot on the compliance front. And then I got a chance to go back to Rice University in the elevated capacity, overseeing a lot more units and sports and responsibilities and kind of serving on the senior leadership group. Um, so for there, I did that four and a half years, got a chance to go to Washington State um, and serve as a deputy AD for nearly four years under uh, Director of Athletics Pat Chun. And then about a year and a half ago, um, or maybe a little bit longer than a year and a half ago, um, I got an opportunity to come here to the University of Toledo. Um, was able to to take the this chair as a vice president and director of athletics, and it's been a fantastic ride, um, nonstop. Don't sleep very much. Stresses <laughs> are high, but so is the enjoyment. I've been having a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it's definitely a lot there. I want to make sure we could get into all of it, but um, I think we want to like I like to say on this podcast is like, let's start at the beginning. And one of the things that I think was interesting, a lot of students in our program are either current or former student athletes. So how do you think your um, student athletic, you know, experience career, how did that impact your current career and your career in college athletics now? Yeah. I mean, it's everything. I, I think uh, on one hand, the lessons I learned on the football field and through that experience being a student athlete in some ways, and I know sometimes faculty don't like to hear this, probably surpassed with them things I learned in the classroom. I mean, the, the amount of adversity you go through as a student athlete in a controlled fashion um, and then get to come out on the other side of it with coaching and encouragement. Um, it's, it's a really cool test case, right? Um, you get put in these adverse situations and then you're, you're taught how to, or you have to dig down deep in terms of battling out of it. And then you've got a group of supporters, staff, coaches, alumni, whoever it is, urging you to kind of continue to move forward even when you don't think you got it in and of yourself. I think lessons about teamwork, operating in a really diverse team um, of a lot of people from a lot of different countries, states, regions, whatever backgrounds, all coming together towards a shared common purpose. Um, I think leadership skills. And when you're talking about leadership skills in the context of a college football team and leading a lot of alpha type A personalities and then being the leader of that type of group. I mean, there's, there's a lot of analogies um, throughout my experience as a college football player that, that directly translate um, to what I do as a professional right now. Um, but I also think like that experience changed my life. I mean, it made me better. It, it, it allowed me to do things and see a side of myself that I didn't even know existed. It allowed me to know, hey, you can dig deeper. You've got more in the tank even when you don't think you don't. And when you get the right person in your corner encouraging you, you can reach a little bit higher. And so that's really my leadership style from a servant leadership of, of trying to make sure I'm always positioning myself to help others be the best version of themselves. Um, and so once you go through that student athlete experience and you see how it changed you and now being the person that kind of gets to direct or steward that environment for nearly 400 student athletes, that's a really special responsibility that I don't take for granted. Yeah, two things I wanted to uh, tackle based on your response. One is, I mean, no pun intended with tackle, but uh, <laughs> on the responses. <laughs> but the uh, you you mentioned and you mentioned this in your early response: building networks, building relationships, being able to have find the right mentors. How did you do that? As particularly as a student athlete in in a competitive environment where you know, a lot of people are looking for mentors, building relationships. How did you find that to be successful? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I stumbled into it. Um, what, what I noticed was like, I mean, I, I was from small town, South Carolina and had never been in, I, mean, I thought Spartanburg, South Carolina was a big city um, because they had a movie theater and a Walmart. And like, that was like a, a step up um, in terms of having their own mall and all that kind of stuff. So like, to me, 
uh, coming from small town, backwoods, South Carolina, it was just, it was a big change. And, and so I, I, I don't know if shy is the right word because I've never been a shoppers and I'm just kind of take a step back, take it all in. But what I noticed is like people coming out of the woodwork to want to help me and want to walk alongside of me. And, and I think in college, when you're making that transition from being in your home with your parents and those kind of being your main two, at least in my case, my main two mentors in addition to others. And now you're leaning on coaches and advisors and teachers and those that show a willingness to want to help you. And, and it really, when I got to the NCAA, it's really when I learned the two true value of networking, because I had, I came in, I didn't know anybody at the national office, but one of the staff members at South Carolina, a guy named DJ Brown had reached out to one of the staff members at the NCAA that he had worked with and said, Hey, my guy's coming up there. Can you look out for him? Um, a guy named Kelly Brooks at the time. Kelly pulls me in his office within the first week and hands me a list of like 20 people that are national office staff members and said, hey, I want you to reach out to each one of these individuals to set up a coffee or lunch um, or time to get to know them and ask them questions. And for me, I was like taken back and like, whoa, like I'm the intern. Like, I don't, these people don't know who I am. Like, you want me to email? Like, it was this like president of this, vice president of this. Like, these these are like the higher, higher ups, not the entry level people. He's like, no, already do it. What I did know at the time is he had already prepped those people that I'd be reaching out. And just want to see what I follow through. And once I followed through, I met with those people. I ended every conversation with who else should I meet in the building? So what happened over the course of the year is I had to sit down a lunch, most of them paid to um, with almost every staff member in that building and got to learn from all these different backgrounds. And what you find in the national office is all those people have either been to campus or worked in the national office long enough where they know a lot of people on campuses. So by virtue of knowing them, your network blows up. So I went from an intern not knowing anybody in college athletics to virtually being one step away from everybody in college athletics. And it just required me to take some initiative, get out of my shell and set up those initial meetings and ask really good questions. But then also ask, who else should I get in contact with? Who else can you introduce me to? And those are skills and relationships that I've used throughout my time, whether it be fundraising or just career development or not being the smartest person in the room, but having a really good phone book to be able to pick it up and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. Walk me through what you do and how I can learn from it. And so that lesson about networking relationships has served me so, so incredibly well throughout my time, but, but it didn't come naturally to me, but I had in theory, but kind of rumbled into some mentors um, that opened the door and showed me the value. Yeah. I want to talk about that in more detail. And, you know, again, I, is a bad pun, but the network effects of networking, like that's what people talk about is how they can multiply and build yeah. networks and the compounding in factor of networks. But one thing you brought up, which is interesting that I hadn't really thought about or explored and, and with other guests is when you're talking about coming from a team environment, you mentioned working with alphas and leading alphas. How, how do you think that has impacted your career working with, particularly in football, where you had to work with people who were, you know, obviously goal oriented, looking, you know, it, it, obviously if you're a football player, you're aggressive arguably by nature, but mm-hmm. how did that impact your career and how did that impact your, you know, um, desire to potentially working uh, college athletics and succeed in college athletics? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I look back on that experience and there's so many things that happened to me uh, as a player in college football that I look back and it makes things that I run into nowadays seem easy by comparison, right? Like I always think if I'm having a hard day at work, it's still easier than the running tests that we used to do in January coming back from winter break when they had us up at 5 a.m. Um, running and sweating all over the gymnasium, right? So like whatever I'm going through is not as hard as that. And I made it through that. So I'll make it through this. Um, I think the same thing about the leadership is like, hey, 
if I can walk up to a, a six, six, three hundred founder um, and, and get the best out of them or motivate them or align them with, with what we're trying to do, I feel pretty good about Joe or Sally down the hallway and having that conversation because it's got to come from the right place. We've got to have a shared vision for what we want to accomplish. And we've all got to know our role and what that looks like and pull in the same direction. Um, so I reflect on those a lot because walking into a locker room or a position room or whatever it may be and having that conversation as a leader is not too different than walking into a head coaches meeting. Um, right. You got a bunch of head coaches that are that are definitely alpha and type A personalities and leaders in their own right. And you got to kind of be the leader of the leaders. Um, and I think that comes with a lot of challenges, with opportunities. But I think, again, goes back and connect the dots with the relationship piece. And if people know you care and you know you build a relationship with them where you're coming at it from the right place, um, that usually leads to real good outcomes. And it doesn't happen naturally or instantly. And I think that's the thing about joining a college football team, right? You start as a low man on the totem pole. Um, yeah. By nature, you're the you're the young freshman that that better not talk a whole lot and just do what you're told and um, find your way on the team. But then you earn the right to talk a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then by the time you're senior, you feel confident and saying, OK, this is the way we do things. This is how we operate. And I think the same with the relationships when you're trying to lead groups. Um, I've, I've got to meet you where you are. We've got to form a relationship. We've got to find a common bond. Then we've got to talk about where we're trying to get to, um, what role we play in and moving us towards that. So. I just day by day, every single day, I reflect upon those experiences as a student athlete um, and how they apply to everything I try to do today, uh, both as a professional and as a, a husband, father and parent. And that, that was another thing I was going to say. It's one thing to create a network. It's another thing to maintain it going forward. So uh, it's not, and you, I think that's something I want to highlight, particularly for students is what you just said. But I don't know if you have any other kind of feedback about how do you maintain a network, right? How do you maintain, grow it? And make sure that, you know, it's one thing when you're an intern and you're asking people and people are like trying to help you in your career. It's another thing as you progress in your career and you're looking for different things. So how have you thought about growing, maintaining and keeping the network as you're progressing in your career? Yeah, I I think you have to be intentional about it. Um, and, and you have to make sure your relationships are mutually beneficial. It can't just be take, 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 take. Hey, only time I reach out to you is when I want something or want a job or want to steal an idea from me. It's got to be give and take. Um, and, and you want to have people feel like it's mutually beneficial. And so I've tried to identify those relationships throughout my career and finding uh, mutually beneficial ways to exist and offer up help when I can. Um, and sometimes that mutually beneficial is not necessarily something you give back to that person or that mentor, but it's just the promise to pay it forward. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times that's what I ask for people is, hey, I had a young lady, she scheduled a Zoom with me first thing this morning. Um, she's a colleague actually in our conference, but she wanted to connect and bounce some ideas off of me. We connect. I don't necessarily want anything from her, but I, I, the, the promise for her to pay it forward to the next generation um, when she's in a similar position is good enough for me because I remember all the people that leaned into me. I also remember all the people that didn't lean in and didn't answer my emails, didn't yeah. answer my calls or said, no, I don't have time for you. Um, and I tried never to be that person. It is hard. Um, and I think it gets harder and harder each day as I get some of the emails that come in and I like to balance all this with my job and what I'm trying to do there. But I remember what it felt like to be that young person um, that, that needed and wanted and thrived off of um, that help. And I try to make sure um, I do that for future generations. So you have to be intentional. Um, you, you've got to constantly reach out and you'll hear some people say, well, I don't have time for that. Uh, well, you have time for what you make time for. Um, right. And if it's important to you, you'll do it. And I think it's important enough, not only for career advancement, all those kind of things, it makes you a better professional 
And the secret of it is everybody knows, okay, I can network for ideas. I call it network for knowledge. I think that's primarily what you should focus on. And then some people network for career advancement. But I also think you'll make better hires as an administrator, as a staff member with a broad network to lean on to vet and screen and recruit names um, than you would otherwise. I think some of the people, if you look at some of the ADs in the country that are known for being the, the best at hiring K coaches and the like, the dirty little secret is they honestly have really robust networks that they scrub those names through. And if I'm talking and I'm getting ready to hire Adam Grossman as my head football coach, I've got 25 people that I can call. I can get a really good sense of who they are on a day-to-day basis, not just an hour on a Zoom interview um, right. to try to pitch me on being a head football coach. And I think that's overlooked because we do these searches in such a compressed time period. But if you've got tons of people across the industry that you know and trust that can give you unvarnished feedback, I think that leads to better hires, which leads to more success. Yeah, don't call those 25 people because I don't think I'll be hired. That means the process work, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But I I, want to jump into something that's, um, you know, we've talked a lot about network. We talked about, you alluded to your job in college sports. But what I did want to drill into, like you mentioned, the belly of the beast of college sports. Like what is college sports and kind of why were you attracted to working at college sports? People obviously understand what happens probably on the field, but in terms of like the actual, we'll call it the business or the, the uh, industry of college sports, like what is it and what was attractive to you that you wanted to join? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's the combination of all the factors that, that make it appealing to me. I mean, um, I think I mentioned my mom worked in education growing up. So she was my middle school principal actually. Oh, well, um, which is a whole nother podcast we, we get into. I'll <laughs> lay down on the couch and, and give you thoughts on all the trauma that I went through. But <laughs> for that experience, she was kind of the NCAA before there was the NCAA. She was like, hey, you got to have all A's before you got on the football field or, or track or soccer or wrestling or whatever I was doing at the time. And I think that served me incredibly well because I always knew to take academics seriously if I wanted to compete in athletics. So that's one piece of it. My dad had worked at the district office growing up and then went on to be an entrepreneur. And seeing him run his own business and get to be creative and kind of run your own shop and do those kind of things, I thought that was really cool, too. And the cool thing about being an AD is I kind of get to combine those two worlds, right? Like, I, I, I'm very strict. I don't call college athletics a business um, intentionally because I think they're business components. Um, but I hate to call it a business because I, I think that moves us in a different direction. And quite frankly, I feel like that's some of what's going wrong in our industry right now. Um, that we're, we're chasing dollars more than we are the holistic value, but that won't get on the tangent. Um, and so to be able to combine that business acumen and an entrepreneurial spirit with the value of higher education and educating young people, providing access to higher education to young people to bring those spaces together. I think that that blend is what makes it special for me because I love the marketing side of it. I love navigating and prioritizing a budget or strategic planning or setting a vision and all those pieces, deciding on our core values or mission, vision, all that kind of stuff. And our, our big, hairy, audacious goals and all the stuff we're working on right now. I love the facility planning part and dreaming big and fundraising to bring those facilities to reality. Um, but I also love swinging by practice and seeing our student athletes and getting them, giving them a high five and say, hey, how's school going today? Um, how's your mom? How's your girlfriend? How's your boyfriend? Um, what was practice like today? What'd you eat for lunch? How, how are we doing as a department? Um, and, and those interactions probably do the best to fill my tank um, in terms of my why and what keeps me driving and wanting to go in. and just the challenge of it all. We work in a super high-paced a- atmosphere where every day, I walk into the office and I probably got a day full of standing meetings 
And inevitably, I'm going to get hit with a curveball throughout the day, nonstop, every single day, always happens. No surprises. Uh, the surprise is there are no surprises if that was the case. Um, and so that that mix of all that just keeps me excited, keeps me energized, keeps me challenged. I'm somebody that likes to feel challenged at all times. I want to feel like I'm up against it a little bit. I got that underdog chip on the shoulder, want to conquer the world mentality. And, and so college athletics just fits me. Um, and, and that's what keeps me excited for the next day because i think what we do is special i don't i don't think we're, we're we're solving um dangerous diseases by any means um but providing access to higher education um improving campus atmospheres um building community and a shared sense of affinity uh for under one brand and all those kind of things that we the impacts we can have on communities uh, i get a lot of value and self-worth um kind of out of that ability yeah, I think we want to talk about all the different components of your job that you mentioned, whether it's marketing or, you know, foundation building or, you know, obviously other things you're doing on a day-to-day basis. But I wanted to get to the point of being an athletic director. You, you mentioned some of the stops you had along your career. Can we, I want to dive into those in a little bit more detail in terms of how did you learn to do all the stuff that you're now doing as the yeah. director, right? I think I think it's from our, what we're trying to show a particular, our audience is like the steps to get to where you are and then what you're doing in your current job, because it is very fascinating. But like, if you could walk through, like, how did, when you're talking about marketing, like, where were you learning about marketing? Where were you learning about, you know, uh, charitable donation, alumni relations, studio, you know, like a capital expenditure, all the stuff that you do have to think about now along the way, how did you learn about and how did you build your skill set? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it was organic. Um, they just came about as I added responsibilities. Others, I sought out proactively either jobs and or opportunities to, to learn some of those skill sets. I think like the background of AD has shifted, right? Like it used to be the former coach. Then it, we had a strong period was, hey, your top fundraiser rolls right into the AD chair. And now I think we're in a period where it's a little bit all over the place, right? It's, it's people outside of college athletics. You see as commissioners and the leaders now. Um, you see some coming from the internal backgrounds, academics, compliance, business, whatever. And you still see some revenue generation, but it, it seems to that that, that kind of maybe calming down a little bit based on where it was maybe five years ago. Um, for me, I, I was in law school. I reached out to the athletic department. I probably reached out. I mean, probably six, seven times, never got a response. Yeah. And I'm like banging my head, like, because you're Columbia, South Carolina, like, there's not a ton of opportunity. There's either the game costs or nothing. Um, and I, re- I reached back out to my AD at Wofford. I'm going back to relationships and said, hey, I'm trying to get an internship. I want to work for free. I'm not getting a reply. Can you help me out? Um, he connected me with somebody in the department that I think he'd worked with on football scheduling that opened the door for, Hey, we can let you hang around for a couple of months. But after that, we might have to find something different. And then I got in there and grinded and tried to show my worth. Um, and so my job, literally, I quit my paying job at the city attorney's office. I was a city attorney's law clerk and I was dealing with some pretty cool things and, and research and all that to, they put me in a closet with the fridge and the microwave for everybody's lunch with a desk in the corner. And for the first, I want to say month, two months, and I'm not even joking, I took the entry packets for every student athlete in the department, almost 500 of them. It's like 30 page packets, stapled, double sided, had to take the staple out, scan each one page by page by page, not as a group, because the scanner they had was so small, it couldn't take large sums of paper. And then take that, put it in the shredder piece by piece by piece, because it was a really small shredder. They didn't have the, like, these industrial strength ones. And I did that for almost a month and a half. I think they were trying to run me off. Um, yeah. I, I thought they, they 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 got pressured into hiring me. They didn't really want me here. I was like, I, I'll show this guy, this fancy law school guy. Uh, <laughs> boy, guy. But they, they had no idea. Like, I didn't have a backup plan at that point. 
Like once I went to my mom and said, hey, I quit my paying job to work for free. Like I had to make this work. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I tried to make it work from there and really um, show my value. And at a certain point, they say, you know what? Like you're doing a really good job. We want to get you involved with some other things. Because what happened is their GA for the second semester quit. So then they needed me. Um, and they kind of flipped the tables a little bit. And it was like, well, we actually need you around. Here's what we'll do for you, X, Y, and Z. Uh, so you just never know how opportunities can come about. But but from there, I was able to work at a number of roles, starting in compliance and then branching out to overseeing a lot of different units, sports and the like. And as you oversee sports, you kind of get everything because each sport has a marketing component, a business component, and everything else. So overseeing sports is probably the one thing that that broadened my horizons the most. And then being on a senior leadership team, we're in that small group of leaders that's charged with leading the department. So we would do strategic planning exercises. We would do zero-based budgeting for the entire project or, or capital projects. So those things really branched me out, and I was able to work with ADs. They gave me those abilities to grow. And then I started intentionally saying, hey, I need to learn more about fundraising. And when I was at Rice, they actually had a, a, a certificate program uh, for philanthropy and learning the principles of fundraising and philanthropy. So after work every day, I would go to a class um, and take classes on fundraising and philanthropy. And when I was at Rice and later at Washington State, I got involved in the National Sports Forum. Um, and that's a really big group that's largely not college athletes, mostly pro sports, a lot of sponsorship and marketing. And I thought that was a great way for me to learn from people outside our industry, but learn from the best and brightest on what they're doing in these spaces. So whether it was intentionally seeking out those opportunities outside my institution or within my institution and growing within my responsibilities, uh, I just always had an eye on what can I do to make my organization better? Am I doing my current job at the best in the world standard? That's always what I wanted to do. I'm the best assistant director, whatever it is, I'm the best at that in the entire country. Because I felt like if I did that and I tried to add value, people would see that and add more. And, I, and honestly, I prioritize that over salary. Um, and, and that's probably backwards for some people, right? Like my wife always got on to me early on. She would <laughs> I'd be like, ah, just give me more sports or give me more responsibilities. I want to grow. I want to learn. Like I'll even take, I don't worry about the money. You don't have to give me money with it. I want this. She's like, no, 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 we need the money. Um, <laughs> but I always thought that if I bet on myself and get these skill sets and grow in these areas, I'll be fine financially one day. Um, and, and luckily enough, that, that bet on myself paid off. It seems like a consistent theme is in your life is the women in your life want you to make more money in your focus. <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never thought about it like that. <laughs> your ex is spot on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My wife has a similar approach and I, yeah. I have a closer approach to you and my wife maybe has a similar approach to you. The women yeah. Um, Again, you've talked to, I just want to drill in just so our audience, in terms of like when you're talking about fundraising or zero-based budgeting or marketing, can you just, even in your current role as the athletic director, you talk about like, what does that literally entail? Like when you think sports marketing for sports, what does that entail? When you talk about fundraising, what does that entail? When you talk about capital uh, budgeting or, or CapEx spenders, what does that entail? Uh, if you can provide more detail on that, that would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, uh... In my current position, I kind of need to be not necessarily the 100% expert, but I need to know enough to be dangerous right. in all of these areas. And I need to set the overall vision and expectation for each of those units and the experts in my department that run those units, right? So I've got a CFO within athletics, but I need to set the vision and expectations for her to say, hey, we want to set budgets and here's how we want to say to them. And here's the areas I'm willing to invest in strategically. And here's the areas we need to pull back in. To, to make the best use of our resources. I think the same for our fundraising staff of, I'll set the vision of what we can become and what we wanna do and what we wanna prioritize. 
And then you take that and turn that into our conversations with the donors to, to align their passions with our priorities. And I think that's where the magic happens um, of taking a donor's passions, whether it be they're just passionate about the University of Toledo or they're passionate about Toledo football or they're passionate about academics and young people or whatever it is and saying, hey, well, we want to add a student athlete development person that helps them with life after sport. What donors are interested in that? Or, hey, football needs a new locker room renovation. What donors are passionate about facilities, brick and mortar to help football or just care about football in general or who doesn't care what the money's going to? They just want to feel like they're helping the university and they trust the AD or the president to, to, to spend that money. Um, but building those relationships, because fundraising to me is activity. Um, and I learned that from my, my boss at Washington State. The more active we can be um, in getting around the people, the better we're going to be from a fundraising standpoint. So being active, getting out, doing a whole lot and increasing the opportunities to listen and build relationships with people. And the more I can listen to them, I can really understand what their true passions are and what's important to them. And then I can say, hey, I heard you say that you're excited about this. Here's a unique opportunity we have for you to support us as we do this. I think that's where the magic happens there. Uh, within marketing, I mean, because we're, we're all in the pressure for more revenue. So fundraising is the one piece of it, but ticket sales and sponsorships is another piece. Um, and whether you're talking about sponsorship and matching business opportunities and brands with, with our brand um, to amplify them and, and show them whether it be slapping a Coke banner on the side or whether it be a local hospital that wants more notoriety and wants to utilize the athletics platform to do that. Um, or when we talk about marketing, getting more butts and seats. Um, and giving them an experience that makes them want to purchase more tickets and be a part of what we have going on. Um, and, and I take marketing from the general fan, but also on a college campus, you worry about the student experience yep. um, because students are our lifeblood. And so we've got to be really intentional about the type of student experience we provide. So that's everything from type of food you eat to how you get into the stadium to in between the action. What are our promotional items look like? How do we keep you engaged and excited? And how do we make this experience come to one of our games? One of those things that you can't sit at home on your couch and get, you just got to be in the venue. You got to want to be a part of it. And how do we tell our story as a part of that, right? Like there, there's the in venue, the fan experience, but also from a marketing, a little bit of a digital media creative of just how do we proactively share that with our groups inside that one, it, it elevates our brand within the market. But two, it also invites people who want to come be a part of it. And, um, you know, you, you're talking about challenges that are probably consistent no matter what the school size is or what the um, institution is. You know, obviously, I think there are idiosyncratic challenges uh, for University of Toledo, both as a school on its own, but also as not necessarily, at least as of the second, a power five conference school. So what do you see as, you know, do you see yourself in a different spot um, from those schools, or do you see that as a consistent, you know, whether it was at Washington, when you were at Washington State or even Rice for to a certain degree, do you see those challenges as being consistent or do you see some as being idiosyncratic or do you see some combination of both? Probably a combination of both. I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to work and go to school in the SEC, then Conference USA, then the Pac-12, um, or then now um, the MAC in all three or four different regions, different parts of the country, different types of institution, some private, some land grant, some research based. Um, so I've got a really broad perspective on how the, the strengths and weaknesses are, or how I perceive those in each of those pockets. I, I would say here at Toledo, it's a little bit of all of that, right? Like it, it's probably a G5 similar to Rice, but we're public, we're not private. Um, right. So we're probably more similar to, to Washington State or South Carolina from that vein. Um, we're, we're, we're in a major metro. We're not in 
a rural city like Pullman, Washington, right. um, with more similar to probably Columbia, because it's not quite as big as Houston. So a little bit of all of it. I, this Wednesday, I went up and visited some uh, Big Ten school and some colleagues up there just to sit around with their AD and uh, a couple of their executive staff members with my executive staff. And we just did idea sharing and talking. And I honestly expected their initiatives and what they were trying to do to be very much different than what I was focused on. And our intent was like to listen to that and try to scale it. But what we ended up talking about, the main four or five topics that they're focused on are the same four or five topics that I'm focused on. And whether it be navigating campus, whether it be your value proposition and how you articulate that to people, whether it be your fan experience um, and what you're doing there or some of those type of opportunities or just general strategic planning, and getting everybody aligned around a singular concept and vision, like the same things they were working on with Big Ten revenue and platform and everything that comes with that versus us at our, our MAC level we were working on the same exact things, even though there's probably a hundred million dollars or more in revenue between us, we're working on the same exact things. And so in many ways that's encouraging, right? Because it was, everybody's kind of going through a similar plight. Um, it's just a matter of scale um, and some of these kind of things and where they may have 60 or 50 or 70,000 fans. And I've got 25 or 30 um, each Saturday. Uh, we're still facing similar type of issues. Yeah, actually, one of the issues that you and I talked about when we previously connected is technology and the impact of technology in, in college sports. I, I don't know if that was one of the issues you talked about with the uh, Big Ten representative, but how do you see technology? Um, we were talking about it in the context of like uh, large language models and open AI. We don't have to you don't have to focus on that, but the idea of whether it is artificial intelligence or other tech or streaming or um, the rise of social media and, and social networking and how that impacts what you're dealing with. Um, how, how do you think of and consider technology in the context of things that are changing on campus? Yeah. And like, so I struggle with this, right? Because like part of me, like, and I mentioned earlier, like the, the thought of contextualizing what we do as a business, like I just philosophically, like it makes me want to like push against that. At the same <laughs> time, like one of the things that I, I think college athletics has the biggest room to grow is in our business aspects and how we utilize technologies or advancements in technology and some of those abilities. And I, and I think college athletics is woefully behind in some ways compared to some of our professional colleagues. That's that really dawned on me. I mentioned national sports one earlier, but the first time I went and talked to some of those people in those presentations, I was like, wow, we're behind. And then you would notice two, three years later, it would trickle down to college athletics and we kind of have that same concept or idea playing out. It was, I did study abroad when I was in law school in, in Tokyo, Japan. And whenever that was, they had, uh, if you go into the McDonald's, it was like the automated McDonald's where you don't actually order with somebody, you order with a machine. And then like 10 years later, we get that in America. I feel like sometimes that's pro sports, college sports um, on, on some of these topics that although we've got the ability to be way more creative, I think um, and less tradition, um, restricted than, than maybe some of the big brands in professional athletics, because we've got such a broad group of stakeholders we've got to um, work through. And because of all the things that we're focusing on with academics and class and behavior and educating young people that we're not strictly focused on the business, I think it takes us some time to catch up. Um, so I, I think adapting to the, the 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 new technologies that make us more efficient has got to be a big piece of what we do. I think the utilization of data and what we do is starting to take hold in a lot of college athletics. I know I thought we did some really cool things out in the Pac-12 in Washington State. Um, but I remember, like, even when I was in South Carolina, Eric Nichols, you know, I would go to lunch and he would tell me all the cool things he was doing with data, um, really probably ahead of his time. 
there at South Carolina um, and moving the needle there. But those are things that the more we, we pull them in, the better we're going to be at our, at our business responsibilities. Um, but then also it's going to make us way more efficient. And at a place like Toledo, probably more so is that Big Ten school I mentioned, because we don't have unlimited staff, I've got to be way more efficient um, with the staff that I do have. And so if AI can help take some of the workload off one of my staff members or allow them to try new fun things that they otherwise don't get a chance to do, we need to be all in on those technologies or whatever that may be. Yeah. Do you have an example? And maybe you, you don't necessarily even mention data, but do you have an example of something that happened in the professional level that has trickled down that you thought, wow, I identified that a few years ago and now I've seen it kind of impact college? Um. I mean, I, I don't know if I have the greatest example off the top of my head. I mean, I, I think some of the things from a fan experience or promotional item yeah. um, that, that the NFL doing, and that's everything from pyro to LED lighting to own for imaging to some of those kind of things always hit them before it hit us. I think NC concessions, mm-hmm. um, some of the things they do to really streamline that fan experience. I think the premium experience that, that the NFL teams have offered um, is slowly trickled to college athletics and college athletics has had premium certainly, but I think the advancements in that space and what that looks and feels like um, is definitely taking cues from, from, from other industries, uh, but you're always trying to steal from other industries. I mean, I honestly, I reference WWE around the office a lot. Um, and most people laugh at that. Oh, what the hell is professional wrestling? Professional wrestling does the best job, in my opinion, of character building yeah. in a way that draws people in more so than any other industry. And while we don't deal with fictional characters, I've got lots of great personalities within our department and within our teams and our coaching staffs that if you knew them and knew their story, you would want to be a fan and would invite you in and pull you closer to our brand. And I'm not sure we've always done a great job of leaning into that space. And I think you're starting to see it more now with advancements in digital media and what we're doing from a film standpoint. But I, I think so many teams, whether it was WWE or like the 30 for 30s um, that happened in pro sports or hard knocks or whatever it may be, that it drew you into the team. I remember when Baltimore Ravens were on hard knocks, I became a fan of that team, not being anywhere ever near Baltimore or anything like that. But I got to see Tony Saragusa, his personality. <laughs> and so I'm a fan of Goose um, because of that show and what I saw in there. And Shannon, Shannon Sharp, hearing him squawk up and down the sideline. It's like, all right, I, I like that guy. I see that guy, or at least I'm aware of him. I think some of those things they've done from telling the story of your, your team or your coaches or WWE in the case of building characters, I, I honestly think we've got a lot further we can go with that because our student athletes are some of the most compelling individuals you meet. And they're so diverse and varied. they got so many quirks. There's so many individuals you could find almost, it can't take a cast of 10 of them. I could find anybody in society, you could find a commonality with somebody on our college campus. And, and I don't think we do a good enough job of utilizing them as ambassadors and representatives to tell our story. And I think in this world of NIL and name image likeness that we're having right now, we need to lean into that even more. Yeah, I, that probably going into NIL might be yet another podcast that we could yeah. have. But, and I, we're getting towards the end of the time. And you know, you've talked a lot about storylines. You and I talked a little, a little bit about this before we jumped on, but we were remiss probably if we didn't discuss what the big storylines were happening right now in yeah. college sports. And you talk about the business and how, you know, that's kind of impacting <laughs> your, your kind of have a, a visceral reaction to the business, but just kind of wanted to, you know, I, I we're recording while a lot of news is being reported on conference realignment, um, but just kind of wanted to get your feedback and take, particularly given where you sit, 
and how you think uh, and consider all this as it's impacting uh, what's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, it's been top of mind for me the last couple of days as you kind of watch this unfold, or at least what we see on social media. Uh, who knows what's true and what's factual and what's done and what's not done. But based on what I see in, on social media and, and maybe some of the disbandment that, that's happening in my previous conference, the Pac-12, and what that means for a school that I know and love in Washington State and some of those others, I can't help but be sad, right? I think growing up in South Carolina, I didn't know a whole lot about the West Coast. I knew um, USC because of the name and OJ to Reggie Bush to, to those type of names. You knew a little bit about UCLA and occasionally saw some of the other brands, Oregon uniforms or whatever, but I didn't really know a whole lot. And then when I got out there and was in that conference for a handful of years, you really started to know and love and respect what makes it special and different from whether it be the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, ACC, the MAC, whatever it may be. Um, and so to see that at, at risk is challenging, right? And I hate to see those regional rivalries and quite frankly, the regionality of college sports kind of tossed out the window um, in pursuit of revenue. Um, Cause you say, okay, is that, is that revenue really making those student athlete lives better? I, I that, that's a question somebody else is going to have to ask um, long-term um, as, as we look at travel and the flights we're putting kids on and all those kind of things, because it seems like, the money is the main factor. And within that football is kind of leading the way. I um, mean, you wonder what does that mean for the rest of our sports? And is this the model that we should be looking at? Um, we talked about emulating professional sports a little while ago, but we're not professional sports. Uh, we, we have elements of business, but we're not a business. Uh, we provide access to higher education to young people. And certainly our model needs revamping and refinement. I, I'm the first person to say, hey, I'm fully on board with what that looks like. Um, but when we get to the point where we're breaking up like a game like the Apple Cup um, that means so much to so many people and is at a Thanksgiving table, everybody's talking about it because they can't wait to say cheer for the Huskies or the Kooks coming into that Oregon and Oregon State or or some of those type of things. And to see that kind of disappear overnight over over dollars, that, that just didn't feel right. Um, so I'm hoping we can come to our senses at, at some point. But I also try to remind myself, like, change is inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, and just as soon as these schools are making these decisions right now, we may be recording another podcast in 10 years. And we're talking about reverting back to what we just got through. So I, I try to not get too frozen in the moment, um, too panic stricken, because it's happened all over the place. I mean, I worked at Rice. Rice was in the Southwest Conference at one point, um, which was a power five conference, for lack of better words, um, and what that will look like. And then Houston was in there, too. Then Houston fell out and it moved around and now they're back in the big 12. So I think, I mean, things are cyclical. I, I think sometimes you have to, to hit a rough patch of adversity to double back and get back to where you are or where you need to be. Um, so I'm hopeful long-term this works out the way that we want it to. But my biggest thing is we've got to teach. We've got to make sure this is still tied and tethered to higher education. I just think higher education, that experience is incredibly valuable. And if we stray far, far from that and try to make it NFL light, um, I think we lose the value of college athletics. It makes us special w- within the entire world. Um, but we also minimize a product that's been really good. And I think you'll start to see negative returns on investment um, if it goes that way. So scared, worried, but confident in the value of higher education and history are right the course for us. And one more question on that, and then we'll have one final question is, uh, do you see this as any cascading effects on institutions like University of Toledo? Like, do you see what's happening there impacting what you're doing? Yeah, I'm still trying to process it all um, and, and what that means. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be doing my job if I'm not trying to think proactively about 
all the different outcomes and what that can mean for us. But I, I've told our staff throughout all this, like our number one focus needs to be on being the best possible Toledo we can be. We do that. Everything takes care of itself. So we're in the Mac. We're Toledo. How can we be a better version of Toledo? How can we be better against our competition in the Mac? And everything takes care of itself. So if you're one of those people who says, hey, I want Toledo to join the Big Ten. Well, that didn't happen without us dominating the Mac. If you're somebody that says, hey, I want Toledo to stay in the Mac forever, but we need to dominate the Mac <laughs> and keep it moving. Say, I want Toledo to be independent and paired with Notre Dame. I don't all these scenarios that, but all of it comes back to us being the best version of ourselves and being the best we can be against our current competition. So I try not to worry, at least externally, too much about all these other factors that I can't control and focus on what we can control. But at the same time, we want to make sure we spread our brand and our story to make sure people understand all the special um, about Toledo, the city, Toledo, the, the university, and certainly Toledo Athletics and our athletic department because it's got a proud history. I mean, people don't realize, like, between Matt Campbell, Nick Saban, Gary Pinkle, and now Jason Candle, I mean, we've had a remarkable um, run of head coaches come through here. I mean, future Hall of Famers. On the basketball side, we won our third straight conference championship. Women's basketball is top 10 in the nation um, in a lot of the attendance categories um, at our level. Um, we knocked off Iowa State last year in the NCAA tournament. Like, we've just got a ton of positive things going on here. So we got to make sure we elevate ourselves and tell our story, um, but continue to be who we are and be the best version of ourselves. And everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. And speaking of taking care of itself and a not silky segue by me, uh, one of the things that we want to, a final question that we ask in, in terms of something you can control is hiring. And what we try to ask, we ask all our guests is, you know, you're in a position to hire people, um, potentially our students or people who are listening to this podcast. What are you looking for when you're looking to hire folks? Um, uh, what, do you, what are the qualities? What are the experiences? What is the background? What kind of you know communication skills? What are the things that you are um, prioritizing as you're hiring folks for your team? Yeah, I'll answer it two ways because I have a very specific formula for, for how I hire and go about it. Uh, one, I always start off with a job profile of what I think I need at that very time. So I think you can get distracted in a lot of ways if you just go with your gut and say, whatever comes to me, comes to me. Um, and then you say, okay, what have people done? Like, what on paper have you show me? If you're a coach, what, what stats do you have? Who you've recruited? I mean, touchdowns have you scored or prevented or whatever it may be, um, if you're talking football. Um, but what on paper have you done? What impact have you had? Have you, if you're a fundraiser, how much money have you raised? All those kind of things. Um, and then it comes to what other people have said about you, number two. Um, I believe you can be anybody you want to in an interview setting. We've got lots of great actors out here that for an hour can put on the best face possible. But I want to know when you have a flat tire on the way to work, how do you treat the people in the, in the office? Um, when you're having a great day and you win, uh, how do you treat the people around you? And those people, not that you put on a reference list, but those people that are just around you that may not work directly day to day, but have encounters with you. I want to know how all those people think I referenced this earlier in terms of calling 25 people. Um, to try to figure out who you actually are. Um, then third, I, I want to do the interview and figure out, okay, can we work together? Can I see myself with this guy or girl and, and doing whatever we're trying to do? Um, and, and can we hit it off? Can you present yourself in the way I would want you to do all those kind of things? But that to me is third and least important in that cascading list um, of what is important. And all of that has to match the profile that we've, we've had. Um, in terms of, of who and qualifications, I mean, obviously a lot of it depends on the type of role, but, but at a bare minimum, I kind of look at my own core values. So I, I have my core values of family, passion, integrity, curiosity, servanthood. Um, that's kind of how I live my life. I mean, family's big for me, my own family, but treating everybody like a family member, being a team player, uh, passion, working my tail off and having a great time at it, um, getting after it and going hard. 
and being a hard worker, integrity, never doing something that's going to embarrass my wife or kids. I'm going to read in the paper one day and say, golly, I can't believe Dad did that. Um, curiosity, always asking that question, growth mindset. How can we get better? How can we make this process um, or this product better and continually never being OK with OK, always trying to reach perfection. And then lastly, servanthood, trying to make sure everybody I interact with and everything I interact with, I make it better by encountering and running into me. Um, and so I try to find people by and large <clears throat> that, that align with those five core values. I'm not looking for people like me. I want diversity. I want people that are way different than me, that think different than me, that are willing to challenge me um, on a day-to-day basis. But those five, I feel like are pretty non-negotiable um, in terms of what you get. And I, and I think by and large, you can find individuals that that certainly have four of those and demonstrate them on a regular basis. But curiosity sometimes is harder to find than you would think. Yeah. And I think we live in a day and age where we all got phones in our pocket left and right. And you can Google just about anything under the sun. And what you find is people are less curious than ever um, in terms of how to get better, how to learn more, how to get better, how to make yourself better. <laughs> so um, curiosity is a huge one for me to really tool out as I'm talking to people. OK, are you really curious? Um, or are you really always seeking to learn and get better, bring fresh ideas to the table? Because um, if you're not, then, yeah, you can be plug and play staff member. You may be great. You're a hard worker. You're never going to embarrass us. Um, you're, you're about being a team member and you want to serve, but you're not making the organization better necessarily just by filling that hole. So if you can get all of that and get somebody that's curious and want to make it better, um, I think you get a team of those people. I mean, you're never going to sleep um, <laughs> and you're never going to be content with what you have. Um, but you're going to make whatever it is that you're working on way better than it was before you got there. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. We're going to hold you to uh, talking to having you on the podcast in 10 years from now. Grime <laughs> <laughs> Blair, thank you for joining the Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. It was a great episode. No, Adam, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.